Welcome back, listeners, to the STRU podcast. On today's episode, I'm thrilled to announce we have Adam Bergman from IRA Financial Group, a expert on IRA, 401k, self-directed, tax-deferred strategies. So please, without further ado, let's welcome Adam. Welcome to the STRU podcast, your number one online hosting community, helping you achieve your goals through short-term rental investing. Now, here's your host, Richard Furtig. Hello, everyone. This is Richard, founder of Short-Term Rental University and Airbnb Superhost. On today's podcast, I'm thrilled to introduce everyone to Adam, the founder and CEO of IRA Financial. He was instrumental in helping me create an IRA LLC, which I then used to cash out of stocks at the then all-time highs. Right about now, we're at all-time highs. And I made a call that I would rather have my retirement proceeds in real estate, a real asset, versus equities at all-time highs. And Adam and his team at IRA Financial were super helpful and knowledgeable because while this is perfectly legal, it is fraught with risk. And this is not something that you want to tread lightly or do it yourself. You really need to seek counsel. You need to get the right help. And if you do all that, it's a great way to free up liquidity like I did um, and make great real estate investments. So Adam, welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Do us a favor and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your firm, and a little bit about you know IRA, LLCs, um, and the opportunities. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Richard, for giving me the opportunity to talk to all your wonderful listeners. I'm really excited of being here. My name is Adam Bergman. Um, I'm the president of IRA Financial Group, an IRA Financial Trust Company, one of the leading providers of self-directed retirement structures in the country. We've been in business uh, around nine years, just over nine years. We've helped over 12,000 clients um, take control over their retirement funds and make alternative asset investments like real estate uh, with their retirement accounts in a tax-deferred, tax-free manner. Uh, I am a trained tax attorney. Uh, I have a law degree, a master in taxation from NYU. I worked at some of the largest law firms in the world, such as White & Case, for almost nine years and uh, then decided to start this company um, in, in 2009. And uh, ever since, I'm absolutely 100% passionate about what I do. I love helping people take control of their retirement funds and diversify the retirement portfolio and invest in what they know and understand, such as real estate. So about 75% of my clients uh, are using their retirement funds to buy some sort of real estate, whether it's uh, short-term rentals, whether it's uh, fix and flips, whether it's land, uh, whether it's uh, like Airbnb short-term rentals, uh, domestic or foreign real estate, um, commercial, residential. Um, The IRS tax code doesn't say what you can do. It only says what you cannot do, which thankfully is really good because the, the list would be uh, extremely long and the tax code's long enough. So basically, there's three things you cannot do with an IRA. You can't buy life insurance. You cannot buy collectibles like art. And thirdly, and, and most broadly, and it's very applicable to all you real estate listeners out there, is under Internal Revenue Code Section 4975, you're not allowed to do any transaction that directly or indirectly personally involves you as the IRA holder or directly or indirectly benefits you as the IRA holder or any of your lineal descendants, your parents, children, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, 
or any affiliated companies. So the reasons for those rules are, are important to understand. The IRS is basically a partner in your retirement account. So for all those people, for all you out there who have a pre-tax 401k or a pre-tax IRA, when you take a distribution prior to 59 and a half, you have to pay tax and a 10% early distribution penalty. If you're over 59 and a half, you just have to pay tax. But when you hit 70 and a half, you have to take what's called required minimum distributions, which is about 3 to 4% each year of your retirement account value. So the IRS is, in essence, a partner in your retirement account. So if you were able to just take all your retirement money in your IRA and just give it to your kids or go buy your spouse a car or go buy a house and live in it, well, the IRS would never reap the benefit of those distribution revenues, which the Treasury uh, counts on. There's close to $30 trillion in retirement money. Most people's uh, biggest assets from a savings standpoint is their retirement account. So if the IRS just let everyone build up their nest egg and then just take it out without ever paying tax, uh, the revenues uh, would, would drastically be impaired and you know, our infrastructure potentially you know, would be damaged and a lot worse than it is today. Um, of course, there's something called a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k, which is something I'm really big in. And it's basically an account created in 1997 by Senator Roth. And it's basically an after-tax account. So if you're able to convert pre-tax to Roth, uh, there's a tax. But, or if you're able to just make contributions into a Roth IRA or Roth 401k, um, you could, those, those funds would grow tax-free, meaning as long as you left them in the Roth IRA or 401k till you're at least 59 and a half and five years, so it's an and, you got to be at least 59 and a half and the Roth has been open five years or more, then you can pull all that money out tax-free. So that's really exciting for a lot of people, especially real estate people who expect to have an asset appreciation and income stream. We've got a lot of clients that have set up uh, self-directed Roth IRAs or converted pre-tax to Roth and they were able to buy uh, rentals or, or buy properties and flip them or buy you know, Airbnb type properties and just live off the income on a tax-free basis because once they're 59 and a half and, and the Roth's been open five years, you got a tax-free stream of income, which is amazing. I mean, especially- That, that is amazing. Yeah. Especially for- That is amazing. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh, especially for a lot of Airbnb people who uh, are getting great, great uh, numbers each time they rent out their, their property. Um, imagine have tax-free cash flow just from, from that income without having to pay ordinary income tax. That's huge. Well, let's just take that one step further because I think what, what ends up happening, and I'm a small you know business owner, I have half a dozen Airbnb properties. I'm um, tax benefited by the fact that these properties are relatively new in my portfolio and I can depreciate them. But at a certain point, my depreciation goes away. So therefore, I'm going to start paying more taxes. But if I do this Roth IRA, if I can convert and roll some of my um, IRA or or um, 401k money into the Roth, if I qualify for those conversion limits, then when my depreciation goes away in, say, 20, 30 years, and I'm 59 and a half or older and I've held this for five years or more, that's a really wonderful thing. Now I've got this stream of income, like an annuity, if you will, that's tax-free. Uh, absolutely. And uh, it's a great point. Let, let me make one thing clear. I mean, the, the one advantage of using retirement money to buy real estate is there's no tax on the gains or the income. So you, you do lose depreciation. So if you own a piece of real estate personally, you, you can technically, for, for business purposes, you could depreciate the asset 
and uh, get a deduction for the depreciation, which is helpful. You'd still have to pay tax on the income. However, when you sell the property, there's something called depreciation recapture, and you got to pay tax on what you depreciated. So it's not always a win-win. Whereas if you buy if you buy real estate in your retirement account, there's you don't get the deduction for any depreciation or any related expenses, but you get something better. You don't pay tax. Or in the case of a pre-tax retirement account, you defer the tax until you pay it when you're 70 years old. So all that money is growing without tax, which is basically the, you know, the seventh wonder of the world. It's compounding return. If you get 8% every eight years, your money doubles. That's what it's all about. If you ask any tax lawyer, the key to having a good tax strategy is deferring tax. Do not pay tax. Always defer it. Because when you defer tax, you your money grows quicker because it's not reduced by any tax liability. So that's the name of the game. And you know, real estate or Airbnb type investments plays really well into the whole self-directed IRA model because you're able to use retirement money, whether it's a diversification play or whether you want to really focus all your retirement assets into hard assets like real estate, which, you know, in, in today's day and age and in kind of an inflationary period, we haven't seen inflation really since before 08. Um, you know, there's talk of inflation. And that's one of the reasons the stock market in, you know, February 2018 has dropped um, is because there's a consumer price index is high. People are worried about higher salaries, higher prices, inflation, which isn't great for stock markets, um, higher interest rates. But it's good for real estate investors because, it's a hard asset, and it usually does really well and retains its value in inflationary times. That's, Plus, what, I've been, that's doing, what I've been saying to all the listeners and viewers on our YouTube channel, which is that when you're in an inflationary period, holding hard assets like real estate, is it's not perfect, but it's probably the best hedge known for inflation, right? Like you hold a physical hard asset. And Adam, I just want to touch on two different things because our listeners are entrepreneurs, small business owners, they from all walks of life, they generally are interested in Airbnb and short-term rentals and real estate, but they also have a varied level of interest. I want all of the listeners to know that I was at the same time that I was contemplating doing the uh, IRA LLC for short-term rental real estate, I was also really interested in holding Bitcoin. And I had taken a look at a company called, I think it's Bitcoin IRA, and they were charging something like 15% fees to open this thing up. And so like on a $100,000 investment, it's a $15,000 fee to do that. And it turns out, you mentioned earlier that you could do this in any um, non-restricted asset class. Uh, so for me, I also use this same IRA LLC that we set up together. And now I own crypto um, in my IRA via this vehicle. So there's all sorts of things that you can do. And I just want to touch on the following fact, because you, you, you talked about it a little bit, but it's really, really critical. The penalty for screwing this thing up is onerous and you never want to go there. So you want to make sure you're speaking to Adam and his team or somebody like him and you're not just doing this on your own. When you talk about no self-gain, I've read things like you can't buy a short-term or a piece of real estate and then go and improve the property yourself with like a hammer and a nail and fix the roof and this and that. Like presumably um, that's adding value to either yourself in the way of saving money or labor for yourself. You can't enjoy it. You can't go stay in your place and don't try and get cute and like rent it out to your sister, or your girlfriend, and then stay there. Like the properties that I own, 
I will never stay there. I will never enjoy or benefit from it. However, and I'd like for you to talk on the, the disallowed things that I just touched on, but there is an upside. And I'd like you to talk on that too, which is once I'm 59 and a half, there's a strategy that uh, you and I have discussed in the past where all of a sudden the property that was earning me income and tax deferred could become my vacation home or my primary home or whatever. So let's talk about those disallowed transactions and then the bright side. Okay, well, I'll, I'll jump first into crypto because I'm a major crypto person. I actually have a book coming out this week on how to use retirement money to buy crypto. So, um, yes, you can buy cryptos in the same self-directed IRA structure you use for real estate. Again, cryptocurrency is treated by the IRS under 2014-21 notice as property, just like real estate. So you don't even need a, a different company. Once you have your IRA LLC set up, which I'll get to into in a minute kind of what that is. But once you have your structure set up, remember what I said, you can buy anything but life insurance, collectibles like art, or any self-dealing transaction. So let me touch on the self-dealing part because that's what, Richard, you brought up and that's a very, very, very important part of what we do. And it basically is important because if you screw up, as Richard stated, and you do something that's prohibited, which I'll get to, uh, there's penalties. Your IRA will get blown up, meaning you'll owe tax on the full value of that IRA when the prohibited transaction occurred, and then the penalties can go up as high as 100%. So it's very important to work with, with tax professionals who can help you navigate those rules, especially for real estate and super especially for Airbnb where you are a little bit more active than you would if you just bought a piece of land and kind of let it sit there. So um, when we talk about what you can and cannot do, there's a case actually it's a Georgia bankruptcy case, believe it or not, but it's really the only case out there that kind of talks about in some degree what a real estate person can and cannot do when it comes to uh, property uh, management, for for example. And it's called Inri Cherwenka. It's 113 uh, AFTR 2nd, 2014-23333. It's on our website. Uh, I'll send the link around to Richard if you want to take a look at it. I actually wrote a Forbes article for it. So if you just Google INRE, I-N-R-E, Cherwenka, C-H-E-R-W-E-N-K-A, you'll find it. It's not a very common name. Um, basically, this guy, Michael Cherwenka, he was in the business of flipping homes, and he established a self-directed IRA to do so. And the IRS thought he did a little too much and was going to argue that he did a prohibited transaction by doing some of the fix and flips. So... Before we get into the case, it's the 4975 of the tax code states clearly that you can't provide services. So you can't, as Richard said, you can't pick up a hammer and, and build the house or clean the walls or uh, you know, make the bed in the Airbnb or do the uh, maid service. You got to have non-disqualified people do that, non-lineal descendants. So you can't provide services. You can't get paid for services. You can't lend money to the property. Uh, you really have to be a passive manager. So the facts in the case um, and, and what the court found is that this guy, uh, Michael Trewenka, all he did was basically management services. And uh, the court, the IRS argued that those were transactions, that he did enough to merit the tr a transaction actually occurred. And the court disagreed and said, no, there's no evidence that he engaged in a transaction. All he did was review what occurred. So he hired a contractor or a, a repair person to fix up the place. He just re reviewed the contract. He reviewed the work. 
He didn't do the work. So there was no transaction. All he did was pay the contractor, tell the contractor, okay, fix this, fix that. And that's what the contractor did. He reviewed the contract, reviewed the work, and that was it. Um, and, and the IRS uh, thought that that was akin to an active service, a transaction, so to speak. And uh, the tax court disagreed and said he wasn't compensated for any work. He didn't really do any work. All he did was management and consulting services uh, through the IRA uh, property. And, and the tax court uh, based, and the bankruptcy court actually held that it was not prohibited because, again, all he did was serve in a management role overseeing the work that he hired a third party to do. So that's very important because it gives us some type of baseline as to what you can and cannot do, especially in the Airbnb world. And my advice is less is more. I mean, the less you do, the better. So buy, buy the house, buy the apartment, hire a third party to do the work, whether it's improvements, uh, paint, whatever, whatever you want to do. Even hire a third party. Wait, wait but Adam, yeah. but the third party can't be your sister or your father, or what about like a spouse, right? It has to be a true third party. Right. It cannot be a lineal descendant. So that's a good point. So a lineal descendant is a parent, child, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, or any affiliated entities. However, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and friends, they are good. They're kosher. They're fair game. You can hire, you are allowed to hire your brother, your sister, your friend, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, um, even in-laws. Um, you cannot do it yourself and you cannot have a parent, child, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, but um, you can have your, your son's, in -law, your son's uh, you know, uh, in-laws do it, or you can have a brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle. So you do have some flexibility to some degree. Uh, generally, you, it needs to be a third party, non-lineal. So in the Airbnb world, if you can hire a third party to do the, 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 um, the maid service, for example, the work on the improvements, and even the marketing if possible. I, I try to help my, have my clients have a third party do the marketing if possible, uh, where you're posting pictures on websites. And, and generally, you can be the one that okays the tenant. You could say, okay, I'll, I'll rent it out for $200 today or $300. Uh, you can make that decision. But I would try to have, if possible, a third party post the stuff, um, show the, the property if you're showing it to, to, to a visitor, have someone show up and show it to the visitor. Definitely have someone come that's third party to clean the premise, uh, whether it's you know, every day, every week, whatever you're doing it. Um, have a third party do it because you kind of want to follow the, the platform at Sherwenka and just show that you're really not providing any services per se. You're just providing overall management um, review of, of what's occurring. Um, you don't want to have an exchange of a good or service. And that's what Cherwenko was able to do. He said, I I'm not providing goods. I'm not providing services. I'm hiring people. I'm reviewing contracts. I'm giving direction to the uh, third-party contractor, but I'm not doing any work myself. And the court agreed. Uh, and I think that's a good foundation to kind of rely on when looking at doing active flipping or Airbnbs with an IRA. Because again, we got to be mindful of 4975, the prohibited transaction rules. Those are really um, the key rules when it comes to using retirement money to flip homes or do Airbnbs. You want to stay out of 
any transaction, uh, you or a lineal descendant cannot provide any goods or services. And as Richard said, you can't live in the property. You can't even technically be there. Uh, you want to have third parties benefiting from it, not yourself or a lineal descendant. So again, you can show up and you can tell the contractor, okay, paint the walls green or orange or yellow or white. It's your property. You can make those overall decisions, but you're not allowed to actually paint the walls. Um, so that's the distinction. You can provide direction, decide how much you want to rent it out for, uh, who you will accept as a tenant uh, or a visitor, but uh, a renter, but you don't want to uh, do the work yourself. And if I could just say, since we have people at various um, levels here of sophistication, this should be treated um, as a serious investment and or a business, not that you're actively involved in the business. That's what you're trying to be is passively involved, just like I sold stock, right? I, w I can't manage or influence Apple behavior, earnings, prices, nothing, but I can research Apple and decide it's a good investment or not, and I can buy it and I can sell it, um, but I can't be more involved than that. And I think that the point that I want to make here is keep contemporaneous records, right? So if you hire that painter, Make sure that you get a receipt and you file it away and you save it on Dropbox and you have it because chances are if the IRS comes after you for a disallowed transaction, it'll be years down the road and you're, you may be screwed unless you're proactive and realize that this is a highly visible situation that the IRS spends a lot of time and energy. A lot of people screw this up, so they have a lot of reason to inspect these transactions and audit them. Not to be scary because it's perfectly legal. All I'm encouraging you to do is be intelligent, keep your records straight, know where they are, because if you can show all of this stuff, the law is very clear. It's allowed. But if you can't and you're like, I don't remember who the painter was, sorry, Charlie, you're in bad shape. Yeah, yeah the onus is on the taxpayer to always prove uh, the, the event. So, uh, yeah, it's as simple as just keeping records. Just uh, You want to prove that none of those funds went to you or a lineal descendant. I've gone through in almost nine year, over nine years two audits. I've had two clients in an IRA audited. Um, I'm going to disagree a little bit with you, Richard. It's actually not audited very, uh, you know, tremendously. You certainly got to pay attention to the rules because the IRS will uh, nail you if you do something wrong, and I'll, I'll give an example in a minute. But it, it's the reason IRAs and 401ks aren't a big audit ticket is number one, 90 percent of people use their retirement accounts to buy traditional investments like stocks, mutual funds. So the IRS, there's really nothing to audit when you buy Apple or Google stock through Merrill Lynch or Bank of America or Chase. I mean, the chance of privilege transactions zero. Um, so that's number one. Number two, uh, there's also something called um, you know, public policy and, and, you know, bad press. And they don't want to go out there and start ripping people's retirement accounts from them and putting people into, uh, you know, a welfare state. So, you know, they're, they're mindful of it. The two audits I went through with clients, one of them was a doctor, and uh, he, uh, he actually sent a, um, uh, unfortunately, he, he wrote a check to himself by mistake because his LLC was a uh, very similar name to a, an LLC he was doing business with. And unfortunately, he wrote a check, uh, $500, that's it. And he had over $500,000 in his retirement account, just 500 bucks to the wrong entity. And the IRS nailed him. And they made him pay penalties and tax on $500,000 for a simple mistake. 
and we pleaded, you know, we'd say we'll pay a thousand percent penalty on the 500 bucks. It was total an error. I mean, clearly he's a doctor. The 500 bucks didn't mean anything to him. He's a pretty wealthy man, but they didn't care and they nailed him. So I do agree with you, Richard, that you got to be careful. You got to keep good records because if you do get audited and your records aren't uh, up to standards, you will uh, get nailed. But, but that's a really good point, though, because I think if people have Googled this stuff, which is where I started, there's a lot of fear about, you know, these audits or how it's like dangerous and don't do it and so on and so forth. And so I really am glad that you disagree with me, because I think a lot of these listeners that are probably doing this work on their own might come out on like the I don't want to do it. And when I spoke to you um, in particular, I got very comfortable with it and I ended up ultimately doing it. And for me, it came down to really simple. I have a great investment opportunity. I have this source of funds that I don't know how to access to do it with. And here's the the right structure with the right team to get it done. And it literally allowed me to enter into two transactions that I would have otherwise not had liquidity to do. So it was amazing from my perspective, plus the crypto which, you know, I'm a long-term holder. I'm relatively young. I'm going to hold this thing for a long period of time. I'm a big believer in it. And to have that grow tax-deferred is a beautiful thing, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of that as well. And uh, so I think that's a good segue. First of all, before I do that, uh, a lot of, it's funny, a lot of the, uh, the fear out there from uh, uh, self-directed IRA standpoint, which is ridiculous, a lot of it is from the SEC, believe it or not. And the SEC obviously is concerned with, they want people to buy stocks because that's what they uh, regulate. They regulate securities. They don't even regulate real estate. They don't uh, they don't regulate those types of hard assets like precious metals or cryptos yet. So, um, you know, obviously that there's some, you know, there's some reason for, uh, that, that's always not clear of why they're, they're putting a lot of these warnings out. But, you know, my attitude is, listen, I want to empower people to invest in what they want. Uh, the IRS tax code, again, only says you can't buy life insurance, collectibles, and anything that is self-dealing. So you're able to buy real estate. It's clearly stated on the IRS website. You have to obviously be cautious of prohibited transaction rules. But if you're not going to live there and your lineal descents aren't either, and you're not interested in painting the walls and getting involved in the day-to-day operations of the property, then it's a very simple investment. It's very safe and secure, not from just an investment standpoint, but you know, from an IRS audit standpoint. You, you should not have any issues. It should be as safe as buying uh, you know, Apple. Um, but so, so what is a self-directed IRA? I think, you know, I probably should have started with that. I, I just sometimes get carried away because I kind of love talking about this, but I think it's important to just for a few minutes, just kind of back up and say, okay, what's a self-directed IRA? So there's really three types of self-directed IRAs. There's a self-directed IRA, which I call financial institution directed IRA, which is basically, they call a self-directed IRA a IRA that allows you to buy any products they sell. So if you go to uh, Bank of America or Chase or Wells Fargo or Fidelity and say, I want a self-directed IRA, say, absolutely, Richard, we'll, we'll hook you up with a self-directed IRA. You can buy these mutual funds, these ETFs, and these stocks. And you say, well, what about real estate? Sorry, we don't sell real estate, so we're not going to let you buy it. And that's their right. They don't have to allow you to do anything. They don't make money on. So they say it's a self-directed IRA and you see ads all the time on TV and radio. Oh, get a self-directed IRA with Charles Schwab, get a self-directed IRA with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. It's not really self-directed because you're limited to buying what they offer. So yeah, you can choose Apple or Google or GE, but that's it. So that's the first and that's your traditional IRA. I mean, they call it self-directed, but it's really just an IRA. Uh, Number two 
is a custodian-controlled self-directed IRA. And a custodian-controlled self-directed IRA is what a lot of people have used prior to, I would say, 2005, 2006, when the LLC checkbook started becoming more prevalent. But all the custodian-controlled is, is it will let you do alternative assets like real estate, but the custodian, like IRA Financial Trust, like Equity Trust, um, they, we have a bis different business model. We don't make money on selling stocks like Bank of America. We simply will administer your IRA. So if you want to buy a piece of property, you'll need to direct us, the custodian, IRA Financial Trust Company, to buy the property. So that means you would wire your IRA or 401k funds to us. You'd provide us direction of where to sell, send it i.e. close the closing. Um, we would send the money at closing. We would sign the real estate documents as IRA Financial Trust Company, custodian for the benefit of Adam Bergman IRA. And the money would go to the seller at closing and the IRA would own the property, which is great. And it works really well if you're doing long-term uh, properties like, like land or if you're doing like a private equity or hedge fund investment where there's like a lockup period where you don't have to do a lot of transactions, i.e. write checks to pay for repairs, improvements, and the like. Um, because why? Because every time you need to write a check or deposit a check, you got to go through the custodian. So the fees get pretty uh, heavy on that end. And you're dealing with a situation where it gets really expensive on a day-to-day -day basis because there's checks coming back and forth and it's pretty pricey. So that's something to be uh, careful about, especially if you're looking at real estate. The custodian controlled option isn't always the best option because of the cost and also the time delays because you got to go through the custodian each time to make an investment uh, or to get funds out or to pay bills or to deposit funds. So the checkbook control LLC is kind of taken over, I'd say the last 15 years or so. And basically it's the same as number two. It's the same as a custodian controlled IRA. The only difference is we slap an LLC, a limited liability company underneath the Custodian. So if you think of a line, okay, on top of the line is the custodian, IRA Financial Trust. Underneath it is this new LLC we'll set up that you can call anything you want, you know, ABC LLC. And generally you'll form that in the state where the real estate is located. So if you're buying real estate in Texas, you'll form the LLC in Texas. Um, and then underneath it is the real estate. So you'll have a custodian that will, instead of sending the money to John, the seller, is going to fund the LLC. So the IRA will own 100% of the LLC, making it a disregarded entity for tax purposes, meaning the LLC doesn't pay any tax because a single-member LLC, the entity doesn't pay tax. An LLC is a pass-through entity, so it doesn't pay tax on like a corporation. The owner of the LLC pays tax. But we know that an IRA doesn't pay tax because it's exempt from tax under Section 408 or 408A for a Roth of the Internal Revenue Code. So you got a situation here where you use the LLC for limited liability protection, you use the LLC as a vehicle to allow you to make the investment on your own through a local bank account where you, as a manager of the LLC, can write checks, could pay for contractors, pay for improvements, uh, pay taxes, can deposit rent, can deposit uh, Airbnb fees uh, into the LLC without having to go through the custodian. So it saves you money on an annual basis, it helps you reduce your costs because you control the LLC bank account and you don't have to file a tax return because a single member LLC, one IRA is the owner, doesn't file a tax return, it's a disregarded entity. So it's super clean, gives you total control and you don't have to rely on the custodian to deposit money or to write a check to pay Joe the handyman. You know, a lot of people when they do work 
on an Airbnb project, they don't want to wait three weeks to get a check for 80 bucks or 200 bucks or 300 bucks because they fixed the bed or they, they fixed the shower. They, they want to get a check right on the spot. So as the manager of the LLC, you'll be able to do that. And that's why for, for flipping, for any real estate transaction where there's activity on a weekly or monthly basis, the LLC just makes so much more sense. It's, it's pretty inexpensive. You're looking at usually less than 200 bucks a year to administer it. Very small money. The setup's not expensive. Um, it's really, I would recommend it for anyone doing uh, high transactions, and especially crypto people, because our crypto model with the LLC, unlike like a Bitcoin IRA, where number one, you need to go through a broker. So they're, they're basically putting you in the 1980s again, where you got to call your broker up by phone and say, hey, I want to buy two Bitcoins. And then they process that. And then they send the keys from the wallet to a custodian. So you don't even hold your private key, which if you know anything about cryptos, uh, that's basically a uh, no-no to begin with. It's like giving someone you don't know the keys to your front house or your ATM pin. You just don't do that. So any crypto investor that's told, hey, you got to give your private key to two people you don't know on a dual authentication wallet that some custodian in the middle of nowhere holds, um, that's generally a non-starter on top of having to call this person to buy or sell your Bitcoin or your Ethereum, which we know the crypto world's 24-7. So if something happens on a Saturday or a tenant night um, and, and I can't sell my Bitcoin, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not something that this decentralized digital currency is all about. So that and the fact that you can control the real estate, uh, the LLC is just a ticket for anyone doing uh, a lot of uh, activities. It's what I recommend. I think the custodian control is great just going to buy a piece of land and hold it or do a lockup hedge fund private equity investment or invest in a friend's business where, where you don't have to do much other than send them the money. The custodian control uh, is number two option on the self-directed IRA front works. But I, I would recommend check the control for Airbnb. I just think it will make your life a lot easier. Um, well, that's what I did. And I, and I just want to draw, um, you know, just show people how – you have to start thinking differently about these disallowed transactions because like you mentioned, I like holding my crypto myself and I like having it through the checkbook IRA LLC that you set up for me. But guys and gals, if you know anything about crypto and you're going to put it on like a, a cold storage wallet, like a, a Trezor or any of these USB sticks, you have to buy that USB stick with the IRA proceeds, that money, you can't call Amazon, you can't go online on Amazon and just use your Prime account that's set up to your personal credit card, get the Trezor, and then download the keys to that. Like, that's disallowed. The, the retirement funds must be used for that, right? Like, this is what I'm saying. You have to start to think differently so that you are perfectly within bounds and perfectly legal but it just requires a little bit of knowledge and presence. And your antenna has to go up and say, wait, wait a minute. How am I paying for this, you know, $100 USB stick? Yeah, that's a huge, huge point. And thank you for bringing that up, Richard. I mean, basically, I'm going to give you some tips right now. The most important thing what Richard said is like, think of your IRA and your personal funds of like Superman and Kryptonite. You, your personal funds cannot go anywhere near your retirement investment. And your retirement funds cannot go anywhere near your personal funds. So, Let's talk about an Airbnb situation. You, you have $100,000 in your IRA LLC. You, you pick up a, a rental apartment on, on the beach somewhere and for $65,000, and now you want to spend you know, $10,000 to fix it up. 
you can't take your personal money and, and just throw it in and pay the contractor or put your Visa card down or your Home Depot personal card. You got to use your LLC funds. So you can set up a debit card for your LLC bank account, but not a credit card. Why? Because a credit card is an uh, instrument where you have to personally guarantee the obligation of the retirement account as the holder of the credit card. And under 4975C, that triggers a prohibited transaction. So, and, and I'll get to leverage in a few minutes because um, that's something I want to talk about. But number one, so you can do a debit card. You can write a check. I think my, my tip is the easiest way to do it is have a either a brother, sister, a friend, or a contractor and say, listen, Joe, um, here's a check. Tell me how much, what you need to buy. I'm going to write you the check. You go to Home Depot. You buy all the stuff. You pay, you know, Bill, the, the plumber, uh, Ted, the electrician, Jane, the designer. You pay all them. You deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Just let me know what everything costs. Um, I'll tell you what I want. I'll tell you that I want a brown couch or a white carpet or yellow paint. I'll give you those directions, but you go to Home Depot and buy it. That to me is the cleanest. This way you have a non-disqualified person doing all the work. You're simply writing the check as the LLC manager. You're sitting back in your office, your house somewhere, worried about other stuff. Uh, the third-party contractor is doing the work. Um, hopefully you have a third-party kind of uh, taking pictures, uploading everything to Airbnb or some other site you're using. Um, and then you can confirm the transaction. Say, okay, I want to make sure I'm charging 250 today or 600 this weekend. You can make those decisions, um, but then have, if possible, have someone drop the key to the person or provide the visitor with access. I would have a third party do that if possible. Uh, I think that's the cleanest approach. But yes, Richard, use retirement money. So if you're buying cryptos, use your IRA money to buy the crypto wallet. Uh, if you're opening up a crypto exchange account, link it to your IRA LLC account. Don't link it to your personal account. Um, you got to think differently, and you're 100% right. It's not hard, okay, at all. And it's not super dangerous, or and you're not going to get thrown in jail, and the IRS isn't going to be knocking on your door. But you just got to know the rules. It's like anything, you know, if you go from a, yeah. a, a football to a baseball game, the rules are different. So you just got to know the rules you're playing with. And once you understand them and whether you're working with a company like mine or someone other, some other company, just make sure you understand the prohibited transaction rules and you, you'll be home for it. Yeah, I've, I've maintained to everybody that's listening because in Airbnb, there's a lot of regulation and people are scared about it and so on and so forth. And you know what? Like the rules are actually our friends because then they tell us what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. It's just when you don't know that it's scary. But once you know, then you can ad adhere to them. Um, so we have about 10 minutes left, Adam. This is a hugely important topic, and I think it could really help a lot of people grow their real estate empire and their crypto and so on. But I want to just paint the dream, which I think is really important for people that are younger and, and starting to think about the retirement. Let's talk about buying a piece of land or a property, whether it's short-term rental or long-term rental, and you buy it when you're, say, 35, you take a, a non-recourse uh, mortgage on the property, and you said you were going to touch on that. Um, and then what happens at 59 and a half? Can you move in, and what do you pay then? And how do you start to think about your retirement vacation home becoming your home, but paying for it now with at today's prices with pre-tax dollars? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. And there, there's a lot of interesting strategies one can, can employ when using retirement money to buy real estate. Um, basically, uh, the number one strategy we talked about is, is taking advantage of tax deferral, or in the case of Roth, tax-free investing. So hopefully you're buying real estate, which is an appreciating asset. Now, obviously, there's dips 
uh, it doesn't always go up, but over time we know it, it, it appreciates, and that appreciation will be tax deferred. So you're not going to pay tax when you sell the property. Um, you're not, and, and if it's a Roth, you'll never pay tax on, on any of the income or on the gains, so long as you're 59 and a half and the Roth's been open five years. So number one, yeah, you're taking advantage of tax deferral. Number two, you're buying an asset you believe in. Um, a lot of people like to touch and see what they own in the retirement account. They get kind of freaked out when the stock market goes up or down and they don't know why their Facebook stock or their Google stock or their Ford stock went up or down. It's kind of all arbitrary. The people in New York are <laughs> figuring all this out and you know they're sitting back uh, on their computer saying, why did my retirement account go eight, down 8% this month? It's not for everyone. Um, I like to diversify. I own equities. I own real estate. I own cryptos. But uh, there are a lot of clients of mine that just want to buy real estate. They like having a hard asset. They want to see what they own. They like to drive by the house in their neighborhood and say, hey, I own it. The stock market's down 400 points today. I don't care. I got a renter in there that's giving me 800 bucks a month. I'm happy. Um, so that's number two. So th they like the fact that they can see the asset. The third is the fact that some people will use leverage. Okay, so what's leverage? Leverage is a loan. Now, we remember the prohibitive transaction rules. We know we can't borrow money from a parent, child, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, or any entity we own. And we know, just like a credit card, that we can't personally guarantee a loan. So I can't go to uh, Chase and get a personal mortgage on my retirement account. So I can't tell Chase, hey, uh, I need 100 grand on this property, I'll, I'll put 50 down and I'll guarantee the rest. Unfortunately, the privative transaction rules will stop that under 4975C, and we can't do that. So as Richard correctly stated, it has to be a non-recourse loan. So what's a non-recourse loan? A non-recourse loan is a loan you do not personally guarantee. So basically, that means that if, you stop, if your IRA stops paying, the lender, the bank, could come after, not you, because you didn't personally guarantee it, but can take the property, which you've given as collateral. So generally, a non-recourse loans, you got to put down more than you would on a personal guaranteed loan. Uh, the lenders we work with, we've seen 35% up. So the 20% usually don't work. Um, you got to come up with at least 35 plus down. Um, but that brings in a second uh, issue, and that's something called unrelated business taxable income. And I don't want to get too much details now because it's quite a complex uh, scenario, uh, situation. But basically what this is, is it's a tax under 512 of the Internal Revenue Code that states if you use an IRA to borrow money, so if you have $50,000 in your IRA and you want to go to Chase and borrow $50,000 on a non-recourse basis, 50% of the profits from the gain or the net rental income, since based off our example, it's 50% equity, 50,000 cash, 50% debt. So you take that 50% debt and you then multiply it by your profits or your rental income, and that would trigger this UBIT tax. So let's take an example. I'll switch up the numbers. You put down $70,000 and you borrow $30,000. So you got now a 70-30 ratio. And you generate $10,000 of net-net rental income. 30% of that, which equals the debt, $3,000 would be subject to this UBIT tax. And the UBIT tax can go all the way up to 39.6%. It was not lowered by the Trump tax plan. So it's a hefty little tax. And it applies once you generate more than $1,000 of income. So using an IRA and leverage um, could cause some issues and could cause this UBTI tax. Um, the one interesting thing I want to mention is a 401k. And I haven't really talked much about 401ks. 
but there's something called a solo 401k. And that's if you're self-employed, have a business, or you're self-employed, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, consultant, uh, teacher, or you have a full-time job and you are a math tutor on the side or sell stuff on eBay or have Airbnb apartments on a Schedule C, um, you could set up a solo 401k, which unlike an IRA, there is an exemption for leverage. So if you use the solo 401k and got a non-recourse loan, that UBTI tax I just talked about would not apply to you. So that's really exciting for a lot of uh real estate investors who are always trying to get into a solo K. A couple requirements. Um, you have to have a business. It could be in any form. It could be a sole proprietor, LLC, Corp, C Corp, S Corp. You got to have a business and you can have no full-time employees other than uh, the owners or their spouses. So if you have someone that works more than a thousand hours, if you own a restaurant or you own hundred percent of it, but you got four people that work more than a thousand hours as you know, waiters or chefs, you're not eligible for a solo K and you got to set up a regular 401k, which becomes an issue uh, with real estate. So the solo K is what you need. So it's not going to work for everyone. So if you have a full-time job and that's all you do, you don't have any other source of income, um, you may not be able to get into the solo 401k. But if you have a full-time job, let's say GE or Apple, but you do stuff on the side. I had a client that's like Santa Claus on the side. It's a job. Um, he has self-employment income on a Schedule C. He set up a solo 401k. Um, if you sell, uh, if you have Airbnbs and you put it on a Schedule C, not a Schedule E, because E is passive rental, which is not subject to self-employment tax and FICA, um, then if it's if that is on an E, you're not you're, you can't set up a 401k because you don't have uh, self-employment FICA uh, income. But if you put the Airbnb or other real estate properties on a Schedule C as in Charlie, then you would pay Social Security and FICA on the net gains, and you would be eligible to set up a solo K and make contributions. Um, just to be uh, clear, IRA contributions in 2018 are 5,500 if you're under 50, 6,500 if you're over 50. You know, for solo 401k, 55,000 if you're under 50, 61,000 if you're over 50. So big, big numbers, 10 times as much. Um, and you get that leverage exemption, which is really cool for real estate investors, really uh, super um, interesting, but you got to be self-employed. So what does that mean? All right. So what does that mean? Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. What does that mean? Just quickly, I know we're running out of time from a strategy standpoint. Um, if, you, if you had everything in a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k, once you turn 59 and a half and, you're over five, and the Roth's been open five years, you, you can take the property as a, as a distribution right? And we know distributions would not be subject to tax. So if you bought the property for 80 grand um, in, in 2013, and in 2019, you're going to hit 60. So and you've had the Roth five years, and now the property is worth 400 grand, you can take that property and live in it tax free. So you, you, you don't have to pay tax on the appreciation. And now you got a beautiful beach villa that you bought for 80 grand. 10 years ago, now you can live in tax free. Um, that's only in a Roth. If you did it in a pre-tax retirement account, like a pre-tax IRA or pre-tax 401k, you would have to pay tax on the appreciation. So if you bought it in a pre-tax IRA at 80 grand, and now it's worth 500 grand 15 years later, and you wanted to live in it because it's a beautiful villa on the ocean, you'd have to pay tax on the fair market value at the date of the distribution. So the, the strategy of moving into the home really works best in a Roth because there you can get the value of the house take it as a distribution and not pay any tax going forward, uh, which a lot of my clients do. Some people will take a conversion. So if you convert pre-tax to Roth, um, you have to pay tax on the amount you convert. So you can do it over a period of time. 
So some people, let's say they have 150 in their retirement account, but they really think the assets can appreciate over the next 15 or 20 years. They may say, okay, I'll, I'll take $30,000 in a conversion each year. Um, and over the next five years, that whole asset will be a Roth. I'll pay tax on the 30 grand each year. Uh, maybe I'll have some losses or offset some of that income. And then after five years, I'll own that property in a Roth and I'm going to hold it. I'm going to rent it out. And in 15, 20 years, when I'm ready to retire in my 60s or 70s, I'm going to have, a, I think, a very valuable property that I'm going to live in tax-free. And this way, I was able to generate tax-deferred income, get my retirement account or tax-free income, get my retirement account a boost, and, and actually live in the house when I want to down the road. So that's one strategy, but there's so many more strategies one can employ with retirement accounts and real estate. Cool. So look, you and I are now going to go to our um, paid members, the master's group, where we're going to answer their specific questions. Um, so we're going to have to end this here. But I just want to go on the record as one, thanking you for your time and energy uh, today, discussing with everyone listening to this podcast. It's amazing. Two, I want to thank you personally on behalf of my uh, IRA retirement checkbook and allowing me to you know, do these transactions. And then the third thing that I want to say to all the listeners are there's there's levels and there's degrees and there's different strategies, but just because you can't afford to do the, the most optimal one, so in the example that Adam just gave us, the Roth IRA for retirement and living it you know, tax-free when you're 59 and a half, doesn't mean that you shouldn't do a slightly less optimal one because that's much more optimal than missing the deal altogether. And I did a non-recourse loan on the uh, two properties that I purchased in my IRA, and I looked at the UBIT thing, and I almost stopped. I was like, ooh, I don't know if I want to pay taxes. But then thinking about it, it was like, this is much more optimal to have the uh, UBIT only on the, the leverage, that tax is only on the leverage, and entering into the transaction, which is going to throw off cash flow for my retirement and price appreciation. And so I want people to think more entrepreneurially versus getting stopped out or fear-based or saying, oh, well, if I can't do it without you know, buying the whole thing, I don't want to pay UBIT tax. Don't let these things stop you. Speak to Adam, speak to his teammates, speak to someone else, but start to take a look at your entire investment horizon and opportunity and start to plan and strategize. And perhaps you can't do the best one today, but maybe you can get started and then do the best one in three years or in five years or in 10 years. And that's sort of the, the point of all this is to help us all understand there's a wealth of opportunity and there's tremendous tax deferred advantages. People like Adam at IRA Financial are experts. This is what they do. And I would encourage you guys to reach out to him. And in fact, Adam's going to put together some sort of um, special that will include the link in the podcast. If you click on that link, um, he'll work with you and get you set up and so on. And so I just really want to thank you, Adam. I want to thank all the listeners and I want to encourage everybody to be smart and start to take advantage of the things that are really here for us, but we have to do the work. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks so much. It's been an honor to be on your show and I uh, really appreciate it. All right. Now let's go work with the master's group and answer their specific questions. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you. And uh, thank you listeners. So that does it for another episode of the STRU podcast. As always, all links mentioned are in the show notes below. And if you found this show helpful, please leave a review on iTunes. If you're serious about short-term rental investing, be sure to check out str.university. Till next time.